Welcome to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts. I'm your host, Doug Peters. Our guest on today's episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts is Jeff Tyler, the Chief Operating Officer of U.S. Ice Rinks Association. Welcome, Jeff. How are you doing? Fabulous. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate you taking the time to spend with us and our listeners. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your career and how your path took you to the U.S. Ice Rink Association? Well, I started. Uh working at an ice rink that the youth hockey program that I grew up playing in had built. Um, unfortunately, a year after I aged out of the program, moved on to juniors, uh, they had turned an old grocery store into an ice rink, uh, which was very interesting. Um, but as I was playing junior hockey, going to college or taking college classes, working at the rink was a perfect opportunity. Um, just because it was a flexible schedule and, and I could work my schoolwork and my uh, practices and games and all that sort of stuff around what I was doing at the rink. So it was, uh, it was a great learning experience because nobody on staff really knew what they were doing. So we, we learned from a lot of our uh, own mistakes, um, some of them almost fatal. Uh, I don't know whether I'll go into those or not, but uh, um, that's kind of where I started. And, and from there, as I was going to school, I didn't expect uh, to make the ice rink industry a career. Um, but once I graduated from uh, college with a business degree, my rink manager at the time said, hey, we uh, don't want you to leave. We're going to create an assistant manager position if you'll take it. And, and that was it. So since 1991, I've been involved in the ice rink industry. I think it's one of those things that you never know what your career path's going to be. And I try to tell my kids and grandkids now that find something that you truly enjoy because you're going to spend a lot of time doing it. And it's funny, I've uh, got the experience of doing these podcasts, which have been a lot of fun for me. And 40 plus years after going to school for radio broadcasting, I'm finally putting my uh, schooling to use. So, uh, Jeff, share us a bit about uh, your family and uh, kids and such and uh, where they're at. Uh, are you uh, having them play hockey? Yeah, uh, I've been married to my lovely wife for 20 years now. Uh, we were planning on going to uh, Hawaii for a vacation. Not sure whether that's uh, actually going to happen with the pandemic, but uh, I have two kids, a 15-year-old boy who played hockey um, from the time he was five up until 14. And now he's, his passion is golf. And so he's uh, changed sports. And I have an 11 year old daughter and she started playing hockey three years ago. And I've been coaching hockey since she's uh, 26 years now. I started right after I was done, uh, right after I was done playing junior hockey, got, uh, uh, pulled into it by some folks that have been coaching ever since. So I've coached both of them on their teams. Um, I was a goalie growing up, so uh, I've done a lot of goaltending coaching, and that's kind of my passion, um, as opposed to being a head coach or that sort of thing on a team. But, uh, yeah, we live here in Colorado Springs. Love it. Been here for about 11 years now. Moved here from Seattle, so quite a quite a difference. Uh, you get over 300 days of sunshine here, not so much in Seattle. So um, it's been uh, it's been good living here in Colorado Springs. Being a goalie, that explains an awful lot. <laughs> well, I'd like to say that uh, 
you have well-adjusted goalies and you have ones that might have a screw loose here and there. I'd like to say that maybe I fall on the well-adjusted side. I say that with a chuckle because my father was a goalie. He tried to get me to be a goalie. I did it for maybe uh, half a season and I said, no, nah, this isn't for me. Um, I, and I don't know if I'm well-adjusted or not. I think that there's a few people uh, Marty included on this podcast that'll probably say that uh, I'm not very well adjusted and I probably have more than one screw loose. Uh, Jeff, what do you find uh, that uh, his biggest challenge as a coach, especially dealing uh, with youth hockey, the parents that come with that, and then being involved in the industry uh, as you are? Um, how how is that? Has it gotten any better? Is uh, is there a room that maybe we put the parents in? Or maybe the pandemic has helped out, as I've heard from a lot of uh, rink operators. Well, i got to be honest with you. The pandemic has been fantastic from a coaching standpoint. They don't have to worry about parents, um, you know, micromanaging or uh, their their children's careers as they often, uh, hockey careers as they often refer to it. And Growing up, I would have never thought that when I was 12 years old playing hockey, that was my career, but that appears to be kind of the way youth sports are, are moving. Um, I would say probably the biggest challenge over the last several years is just kids don't want to take responsibility for their own actions. And I don't know whether that's coming from home, that's a societal issue, um, but that's been one of the biggest challenges when you, you, know, you set rules on a team, uh, trying to create team chemistry, um, and at the same time, kids wanting to point the finger. So it's it's difficult to create a team when you have 15 individuals who, you know, uh, may think that it wasn't my fault. So uh, we've struggled with that a little bit this year. My daughter's uh, peewee team, I like to refer to it still, but I guess it's 12U now to be uh, more up to date. But uh, we're starting to make some strides. Some kids are starting to be uh, better teammates, and that was one of the things that we focused on this year was, you know, you only control three things in life, your, your effort, your attitude, and how you treat other people. And being a good teammate, is that how you're treating other people? So um, it's been, you know, that's kind of been the challenge, but at the same time, finding a solution to it, I think is, has also been very rewarding. It sounds like maybe they need to watch the movie Miracle a few times to get uh, some of the Herbieisms, uh, you know, what team do you play for kind of thing. Well, the unfortunate thing is when I ask, hey, uh, who watched the Colorado Avalanche game last night? Very, very rarely do I get more than one or two kids on the team to say, oh, I watched the game. So I don't I don't know if they're from their computers playing Fortnite or whatever the heck they're doing, but uh uh, they don't seem to be quite as engaged as at least uh, when I was growing up and my teammates, they, it was hockey all the time. Yeah, it's it's a different world. And I, I think it's a easier world in some degrees, but I don't know if it's a better world than uh, what it was like when I grew up uh, 100 years ago as a as a youth. Um, so it's it, it's challenges that you face. And I know I see it with my grandkids now. I've got. Uh, we are we are up to nine, and a couple of them that are younger are playing Fortnite, and I've got to ask them to explain to me what it is. And um, both my wife and I don't grasp the concept of it, but maybe one day I'll I'll live long enough to figure it all out. 
who is your biggest sports hero when you're growing up and have you met them? And if not, uh, who would you like to meet in all your travels that uh, you get to do with the U.S. Ice Rink Association? Well, I've actually been pretty lucky uh, to meet some of my sports heroes because I worked for the Philadelphia Flyers for four years running their uh, running their rinks, their skate zone rinks, and uh, being able to see several of the, the Flyers players. Um, it was probably one of the, my favorite moments was meeting Bernie Perrant, uh, being a, you know, an old goalie, um, and then just shooting the breeze with them. They were doing a com- commercial shoot at our rink. And obviously there was plenty of time in between the different takes. And so uh, just listening to him and hearing stories, um, that was pretty special. And then Mike Richter, I thought was, uh, was pretty, uh, pretty awesome growing up. I thought he was one of my goalie heroes and uh, got to meet him a couple of years ago. He was working with a company that was doing uh, sustainable um, energy projects, solar, that type of thing. And uh, we were connected by somebody else on how uh, the work they were doing could help maybe ice rinks, the ice rink industry. So uh, it was pretty, uh, pretty good to meet him. And then John Van Beesbrook works for USA Hockey. He was another uh, goalie hero of mine and uh, get to talk with him uh, several times a year just because of uh, him working at USA Hockey and our offices are, are at USA Hockey. So. Well, that's awesome. As a kid, I got to hang around a little bit because my dad worked for the North Stars with Gump Worsley. Um, got some old video that uh, Wally Shaver, who his dad, Al Shaver, called the games for the North Stars, has sent me, and, and that's kind of cool. And I was able to chat with Cesar Maniago uh, years ago at the All-Star event in Minnesota, and he's a guy that I'd love to reach out to uh, and get on a podcast and talk about some of the old North Star stories. But uh, some of that stuff is just a lot of fun to to reminisce, uh, brings back my youth. Yeah, I actually, uh, I got into playing hockey when I lived in Minnesota. Um, and uh, people ask me, well, why do you want to be a goalie? And like, well, the goalie equipment looked cool. I don't, I, looking back, you know, the old brown leather pads, I don't know why that looked cool. But uh, when I was watching you know, Jills Malash and, and Don Beaupre, who were the two goalies for the uh, Minnesota North Stars at the time. Those were kind of, uh, for whatever reason, I thought they were cool, and that's why I became a goalie. Yeah, the, this it's funny, the footage of Gump, he's actually reaching up to grab a hold of the crossbar. And you look at that, and now you see these guys, like the, the Ducks just played uh, the Coyotes the other night for two nights in a row, and... Kemper is 6'5", and then another guy that came in, uh, Aiden Hill, he's 6'6", I think. None of these guys are small guys. They should be playing uh, small forward on the basketball court, not being the goaltenders, I think. Yeah, the game has certainly changed in that respect. Immensely. Uh, Jeff, can you tell our listeners, what other organizations are you involved with uh, on either a national or international level? If I remember right, uh, we've talked that you've traveled over to Europe to be involved with uh, hockey uh, to a degree. Can you share with us uh, what you do? Well, the last eight years I've been on uh, the International Ice Hockey Federation's uh, Facilities Committee, or now it's been renamed the Facilities Working Group. Um, we've done some seminars on ice making and ice maintenance uh, for different countries, member nation countries. Um, 
And I've also had the opportunity to uh, be involved at the, the beginnings of the world championship events. So we, uh, this last world championship, which was canceled, unfortunately, uh, got to go to Switzerland with our committee for a few days and meet with the operators of the two host arenas and talk about different, uh, you know, what their plans were, um, you know, for emergency situations. What are you going to do if, if a piece of glass breaks during the game or that sort of thing? So that's been, uh, it's been very interesting actually see how things are done differently in Europe as opposed to North America. The Kenya hockey team has uh, made the news a little bit uh, out here. I think that they spent some time or the, the Kings were talking them up. Uh, any plans to head over there to take a look at uh, the ice rinks that they're skating on? Uh, our committee isn't, um, isn't scheduled to go there. However, um, we, ju we did just get hooked up with a group out of Jamaica that is looking to try to build an ice rink. Um, and try to get a hockey program going. So um, the International Ice Hockey Federation, I'm trying to think of how, I think they have over 70 member nations. Um, of course, not all of those are large hockey nations. Some of them may only have one ice rink. Um, if any ice rinks at all, there's a few member nations in the IHF who don't even have any ice rinks. So uh, it's very grassroots with uh, what, we've been able to do with our facilities committee and, and that's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's interesting where we've sent machines uh, all over the globe and I've been able to visit a few places. There's a couple that are still on my bucket list. We sold a couple machines to Argentina uh, and we've got uh, another machine going down to Brazil uh, that's packaged up and ready to go. So um, maybe before my time's up uh, working, I'll get down to South America and visit some of those. Well, there was a, one trip I went on was in San Sebastian, uh, Spain. And they had, I believe it was a 440. So a little smaller machine. Um, and we were kind of doing a circle check, uh, so showing them how to do that sort of thing. Um, looked at the blade and it looked like a serrated steak knife and they didn't realize he had to change the blade. It had been on there since they purchased the machine three years previously. It was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. I saw one of those over in Hong Kong years ago and they couldn't understand why the ice was as thick as it was. We put a new blade on there and, it, and again, it looked just like what you're talking about, a serrated knife and put a new one on and went out and put the blade down just for the first time. And within a lap and a half, two laps, they, they had filled up the, the dump tank. And it was like, wow, that made the machine run so much easier and it wasn't straining so hard. And it was like, you got to send these things out and get them sharpened. And it, you know, what you and I think is just something that uh, should be common knowledge is not necessarily that way, especially for people who've maybe never been involved in the industry. Exactly. Can you share with us the list, or our listeners, the history of STAR, which is now U.S. Ice Rink Association, how things got going and where you're at year-wise with the organization, uh, how many years it's been around? Thanks. Well, we started uh, serving the American rinks was the original name of the country, or the company, I should say. And it was, uh, you know, the acronym was STAR, which kind of caught on 
Um, and I think part of that was uh, purposeful uh, because the organization was started as a joint venture between USA Hockey and US Figure Skating. Um, both organizations realized at the time that uh, in order for them to grow their own membership, get more people involved in, in their sports, they needed ice rinks. Um, they felt at the time they weren't met, maybe necessarily doing a good job of um, you know, working with the ice rinks. Uh, working with those stakeholders, and so they created uh, Serving the American Rinks. Um, we are, what, year 21 right now, um, and we rebranded in 2016 as the United States Ice Rink Association. Um, at the time, we felt that uh, we had too many acronyms. People who knew STAR, knew STAR. People who didn't know STAR, didn't know STAR at all. So um we started doing a little bit of uh, market research and that sort of thing we pulled up just type star into google and found out that we were on the 33rd page of google search um and there were just so many different companies and different organizations that were using star or some version of star um in their company name so we felt in order to be a little more descriptive on who we are, what we do for rink operators um, or prospective rink operators, people looking to build rinks, um, that a, a name change would be uh, helpful in that uh, regard moving forward. So um, as an organization, since day one, we've always offered three different membership categories. So we have individuals for, for folks who uh, work in, own or operate rinks, uh, facility membership for folks that want to get their employees involved. Um, so it's not just the rink manager who's getting information. They want to get information to their staff or they want to take advantage of some of our training um, and get their, um, their staff up to speed or provide professional development opportunities for them. And then finally, vendor membership category for companies like Zamboni, um, companies that are focused on uh, products and services for the ice rink industry. So um, we're classified as a, as a trade association, um, but I think we are more, we more operate just as a membership organization for, for all the different stakeholders in the industry. Can you talk a little bit about how NARS came about and how uh, USIRA is navigating through the world we live in today without the ability to do, really without the ability to do face-to-face -face meetings? Um, well, North American Ring Conference and Expo was started by a gentleman named Louis Liebert, who at the time was the editor or the publisher of Rink Magazine. Um, and that started in 2003. Um, he really, from what I understand, he started the event um, to provide a forum for all the advertisers in the magazine. So to create another event for them to be able to interact directly with people that worked in, in the industry. Um, and from what I hear, he, he might have had a little bit of a grudge against ISI, but don't know anything about that. Maybe you do, Doug, going back then. But um, really, that was the impetus of the, um, of the conference. It was going to be a trade show. But Lewis realized at the time that people aren't just going to probably show up for an ice rink trade show. It's not like a consumer products show where people would show up. 
So he understood that he was going to need some educational content content for um, the event. And he came to Star at the time and, and asked us to bring uh, courses to the event. So people came to the courses, then they could attend the trade show. So it was a pretty, uh, you know, pretty symbiotic relationship in that uh, standpoint. And we've been going every year. Well, I'll have to correct myself. Uh, 2020, we had to cancel the event due to the pandemic, obviously. And then this year, uh, we unfortunately made the decision to cancel the 2021 event. But we will be in uh, Buffalo, New York in 2022 and 2023. Fingers crossed, of course, that uh, the world gets back to normal. Um, but yeah, we've kind of expanded the event. Um, at first, there was you know, a few networking uh, receptions. Actually, I think there was only one on the Monday night. We've expanded and, and added some different activities and try to create those activities so everybody who's attending the event has the opportunity to network. Um, and that's really the disappointing part about having to cancel last year and then cancel this year is that, you know, that it appeared, it seemed that NARS was the one event during the year where you can get hockey directors, skating directors, you know, Zamboni drivers, owners, operators, uh, different national governing bodies like USA Hockey, US Figure Skating, US uh, Speed Skating, and USA Curling, all together at one time um, to be able to interact with each other. You know, a lot of times when people work at the rink seven days a week, uh, in some cases, and, and they never get out of the rink. Um, and this has been a great opportunity uh, for them to get together with their peers and um, you know, share experiences, uh, share stories, uh, just a good time for, for people. Yeah, you and I talked uh, a while back when you uh, were on the cusp of making a decision as to what to do. And I, I think that you made the right decision, the organization made the right decision uh, to not proceed in 2021. Uh, there's that expectation of what the conference is going to be like and something short of that might hurt the brand might hurt the um, the product and it's if you proceeded forward and that's somebody's first impression and you only get one chance to make a first impression um, it might not give you the opportunity to do what you guys have done in the past yeah well and ultimately too what we were concerned about is you know people's safety to be to be honest with you we've been preaching since you know for the last year of you know following mandates and and you know following recommendations and that sort of thing and we kind of felt that if if we go ahead and hold the event are we really following what we've been preaching you know are we going to hold the event just to hold the event or do we want it to be the same level um you know that people expect nurse to be um, so ultimately, yeah, it was a tough decision, but, you know, we feel that it was the best decision for, for everybody involved. Can you share with our listeners uh, as well as us, what's the mission is for USIRA as well as what uh, you see as a vision for the future of it? Well, our mission is to, um, advance the ice rink industry through membership, education, certification, uh, networking opportunities and events. 
Um, we're actually in the middle of putting together a new four-year plan, so that mission uh, uh, may be wordsmithed a little bit moving forward, but uh, that's our mission as of today. Um, and I think moving forward, we'll continue to focus on you know, education, transfer of knowledge, sharing best practices um, with people in the industry so they don't make uh, the same mistakes uh, that many of us who have been in the industry made early on in our careers. Um, and at the same time, providing, like I said, more networking opportunities uh, with technology now, um, we were all forced into Zoom and GoToMeeting and all these different online platforms. Previously, we were really focused on face-to-face, -face, um, but I think now with some of the new technologies, we're looking at how we can uh, use those to the best of our ability to uh, connect people who are at all different corners of the country. How is the U.S. Ice Rink Association working with other organizations such as FOMA and the regional uh, organizations to keep the industry moving forward? I, I've seen uh, John be a part of uh, some of the Zoom meetings that uh, YAMA and NISMA have had, um, but how are you guys helping those organizations uh, keep the rinks in their areas moving forward while we're dealing with uh, the COVID situation? Yeah, we, uh, Miami, Minnesota Ice Arena Managers, as you know, uh, Nisma, uh, Yama, and then we're working with uh, the Rocky Mountain Rink Managers Association, which is um, fairly new. We actually helped get them off the ground a couple of years ago, um, helped them get their incorporated in Colorado and move that organization. So they're starting to grow. Um, ultimately, we realize that not everybody wants to be a member of a national organization. They they will feel you know more connected to their local organization, um, and we realize that if those local organizations aren't strong, um, then that's doing a disservice to the industry. So essentially, we we try to provide education um, opportunities or an education uh, component for their conferences. Um, for their meetings, those sort of things. Um, and then we try to share information with them as well. Um, we actually have a management, uh, association management agreement with FOMA, which is the NHL uh, operators group. And we help actually get them incorporated in Colorado back in 2007 and have been helping them with managing their membership, managing their finances, as they've taken over their own trade show and um, conference, we've helped them manage that as well. But during the pandemic, we, you know, we reached out to Miami. We said, "Hey, we've got the Zoom platform. We can help you get these meetings going with your members, so you can stay in touch." This is what we're doing with our members. Um, so we got them going, and then they kind of went off on their own and did their thing. Did the same thing with Wyama and Nisma. Um, with Wyama, they really, John, our director of education, really got involved and has helped keep them going with their weekly, or I believe they're now bi weekly uh, Zoom sessions with their membership. And we've done the same thing with Nisma. So we're really, we want to support the regionals. We don't, you know, we don't consider them competition. I mean, technically they are for membership, but. At the same time, um, we're there to support. Their mission is essentially the same as ours. So 
um, you know, if we're working with them, I think it makes the industry better overall. Jeff, can you elaborate a little bit about the programs or the educational uh, platform that you have um, for the members of USIRA, as well as potential members to either get started in the ice ring industry or to further their careers in the industry? Well, we have seven core courses. Um, three of them are operational courses that we actually license from the Ontario Recreation Facilities Association, um, ORFA, or the ORFA. Um, we started that uh, relationship back in 2001. So we licensed their basic arena refrigeration course, ice maintenance and equipment operation course that Zamboni Company is involved with. Um, and ice making and painting technologies. Um, those three courses make up our certified ice technician uh, certification and professional designation that we also license from the ORFA and that uh, professional designation is uh, recognized by the National Hockey League as well. So we have the operations side and then we have three other courses, human resource management, operations risk management and programming marketing and promotions and those three courses make up our certified rink administrator professional designation. So um, once you get the CIT and the CRA, we elevate you up to our highest level, which is the certified ice rink manager um, certification or professional designation. Um, we started creating these certifications essentially because we wanted people who work within the industry have the ability to be recognized as someone who's invested in their professional development or has invested in, in becoming more knowledgeable, more skilled, um, you know, and is really just focused on becoming, turning the ice rink industry and their job into a profession for them. Um, I think for years, and it still is that way today, some people look at uh, the folks that work in at the rink that it's just the rink guy. But there is, you know, it is a profession, and that's what we're trying to trying to do with our education um, and our certifications is raise that level of professionalism within the industry. And we ultimately feel that the more people, you know, continue their education and, um, you know, continue to work on developing their skills, that's going to ultimately lead to better run ranks. Um, so those ranks stay open. Um, they're sustainable and also um, gives a career path for, for people now. They don't just see, you know, I'm just driving the Zamboni for 10 bucks an hour. There's, there's actually an opportunity to, uh, to do something here. Jeff, is it challenging to keep the people coming back for further education once they've achieved the CIT level? Or are you guys working on different things uh, to keep that fresh for them? For the CIT, we actually have a recertification that requires every five years um, those individuals to uh, take a recertification exam. We're actually in the process now of uh, putting that exam online and creating some self-study uh, materials that would go along with that um, to give those folks an opportunity to continue to continue to learn. Uh, we are looking at some different um, types of, I guess. Uh, uh, continuing education opportunities as well uh, beyond our six core courses and uh, you know we really want to keep people engaged in 
in the industry, what's happening, what new things are happening. Um, we do find sometimes we have, we call them paper chasers. Uh, they just want to get those classes and get that certificate to throw on their wall. And once they're done with that, they're done with it. Um, but the majority of the folks who've achieved any of our professional designations, um, they're very, very inquisitive. Um, they're always looking for, you know, new things, new ways to do things. Um, and I think ultimately that's, uh, that's great for our industry, having those types of people involved. And hopefully that kind of spills over to other folks who, who may or may not be uh, as invested in the industry as they are. How has COVID impacted the way that U.S. Ice Rink Association operates and what changes have happened in the way USIRA is helping its members get through this to get to the other side, hopefully sooner rather than later. Right. Um, well, when when things started to kind of hit the fan, if you will, um, when the NBA shut down, then all the other pro leagues started shutting down. And then next thing you know, the domino effect of, of rinks and recreation centers and all that sort of thing being shut down, we realized that not only our members, but any anybody in the industry was really looking for where do I find the information? What's the right information? And you know, when can I get it? So we basically went into kind of uh, information gathering mode and we looked for as many resources as we possibly could. Um, but we'd also look for resources that were easily understandable. Some of the stuff that we found to begin with were like 24 pages. And we knew that somebody wasn't going, by the time they got done reading 24 pages, they weren't gonna know any more than they did when they finished page one. So we really looked for kind of concise and clear clear resources for folks. And then started putting those on our website, started doing industry email bulletins um, with that information, and then started holding uh, weekly or bi-weekly or twice a week, uh, different Zoom sessions where we would talk about the different topics that were happening early on. As the pandemic's kind of progressed, um, there hasn't been a lot of new information that has come out. So uh, partway through it, once we got over that initial kind of people really needing information right to begin with, we worked with USA Hockey and US Figure Skating to create a document called Returning to the Rinks, which um, the intent of that document was to kind of take all the information that we had pulled together, um, the best practices that we were hearing from people in the industry, as well as other, you know, other types of businesses on how they were handling customers and how they were handling their day-to-day -day business. We put uh, kind of a recommendations document together with those best practices so rinks could develop their opening plans. And from there, we updated that um, again this past October with more information and, and other best practices that were developed over time. And we've continued to try to um, go down that path. You know, we realized that um, what we were all doing back in March isn't the same of, of what's happening now. And as uh, the difficult thing for us is, being a national organization is keeping a tab on what's going on in every state. Are you, do you have any numbers that you can share with us that uh, are in regards to numbers of people who are CIT or 
how many people have taken courses throughout the years uh, with USIRA? Uh, we offered our first course in 2001, and since then we've added over 10,500 people, uh, students, I should say. Obviously, some of those have, have taken multiple courses, but uh, total students in class has been over 10,500. And right now, uh, I think we're sitting at just over 1,100 uh, folks have uh, achieved one of our professional designations. I think just over 750 of those are CITs. That's amazing in such a short period of time. Well, we're, we're getting close to the end of this, but I can't let you go without getting into one of my favorite topics, which is food. Um, if I were to stand up, uh, you can kind of see by my beard that I've got growing. I'm growing this for a side hustle uh, to be at the mall at Christmas time if they, they let uh, people come in. And as my co-host, Mr. Elliot, likes to say, he keeps asking me if I'm using Grecian to, to change this. No, it's the natural color and it's, it's uh, growing white on me a little bit. And my stomach has gotten a little bit larger as uh, maybe some other people has over the course of the, the COVID-15 or whatever we're calling it. Um, I think I got the COVID-45. <laughs> <laughs> white Castle, yay or nay, Jeff? Mm. Fresh at at the drive-through, yes. Frozen at the supermarket, no. Yeah, that's not the same thing. You have to have the whole experience. And when I was younger, and I might have maybe had one too many, um, I've often felt that uh, the White Castle was a prevention for the hangover. And you have to have the whole experience at like two o'clock in the morning on Lake Street in Minneapolis. When you see the clientele and you get to smell the the onions that are being cooked on top of the burgers, I think that gives you that total experience. Absolutely. And if you don't come out, you know, if you go into the actual, you know, restaurant, if you can call it a restaurant, and you don't come out smelling like onions, then you haven't really had the full experience of White Castle. Need to be in there just a bit longer to make sure it permeates through all your clothing. Absolutely. Jeff, Jeff, what would your favorite food be? Uh, I'm a pizza guy. I could eat pizza every day for every meal. And tell us what goes on your pizza. Uh, I keep it pretty simple usually, just pepperoni, maybe maybe mushrooms and some sausage, but I keep it pretty simple. Okay, I'm with you on the pepperoni and sausage, but my third item, if I get and if they have it, would be green olive. If you haven't tried that, it's uh, a little bit salty. Um, but it's a very enjoyable flavor to the pizza. Uh, can you tell us if you've experienced the donuts at the top of Pike's Peak and what's the story behind those donuts and the, the magic and how they make them? Uh, I have experienced the donuts, um, but unfortunately I don't know the magic behind them. Um, I've only been up to the top of Pike's Peak once. I'm not a very uh, big fan of heights, so driving up on that road is... Uh, a little, uh, uh, little scary to say the least for me. I white knuckle it up there, but uh, I made it all the way to the top. I didn't, I didn't ask my wife to drive, so I felt good about that. Um, but when we have family or friends come to town, I usually uh, let them go up to the top because I've, you know, I've been there and done that. But not sure about the donuts. They are delicious though. Yeah, we had those, and I think it was the meeting. I don't know if it was a FOMA meeting or what it was, but uh, I remember we went on the funicular, and I believe that that thing is due to reopen 
in May of this year. Is that correct? Yeah, they're actually they built a whole new uh, a whole new facility up there. It's all supposed to be uh, you know solar panels and you know just supposed to be super efficient uh, a green facility. Um, but just some of the stuff that I've seen on TV, it looks like it's a pretty nice uh, uh, pretty nice building that they put together for that. And hopefully they'll still have those donuts. What's your go-to place in Colorado Springs for uh, pizza or any meal? Um, I like Louie's Pizza because uh, it's a little more uh, New York style. I kind of like the, the thinner crust. I definitely like uh, Chicago style, but there aren't many places out here in Colorado where you can find Chicago style. So Louie's would be uh, my favorite. It's kind of a little hole in the wall, a little greasy. But uh, that, to me, that's what makes good pizza. Those are the best. Um, favorite place that you've been to in all your travels? And I'm sure that you've logged just a couple miles uh, in your career. Uh, I got to go to Beijing um, for one of my trips with uh, the IHF committee. And uh, got to go to the Great Wall. And Great Wall is not as great as I thought it was going to be, to be honest with you. Um, but it was difficult to climb up to the top because the smog was so, uh, uh, smog was so thick. Couldn't even see downtown Beijing from the wall on that particular day we went out there. I've been to China on numerous occasions and only once made it to the wall. And that was with Miss Paula and they had a thunderstorm that was coming through and the sky rides that would take you up to the wall were not operating. So not only did we get to walk up to the wall, we got to walk down. And when I got down, my legs were sore for probably three days because the stairs going up to the, the wall were not, they were not equal. It wasn't like going up a normal right. flight of stairs. And then walking the wall itself, it, it, what an, an amazing feat that that was being when it was built. Um, mm. But yeah, it's, it's a unique experience and one that, uh, maybe there'll be a second visit but uh the bucket list has at least been complete that i've uh, been to china and i've seen the wall and done the wall mm -hmm. favorite nhl building to watch a game at or to get some nachos get some nachos not a big fan of the uh of the fake cheese um so i don't know if i would uh huh favorite nhl building I, I would say the old Met, the old Met in uh, in Minneapolis. I mean, that's oh. where I saw my first uh, game. Um, you know, the old green, white, and gold seats. That was that was pretty unique. Um, and it just that was the first memory for me. Um, unfortunately, I never got to go to Chicago Stadium um, when it was there, or um, you know, the old. Maple Leaf Gardens, some of the old buildings I never got an opportunity to go to, uh, which was unfortunate. But um, I would say that, uh, well, Pepsi Center here, well, it's called the Ball Center now. Um, it's a nice building, very nice building. And a lot of uh, uh, NHL buildings, you know, they aren't as unique as they used to be, which is unfortunate. They're, they seem to be a little more cookie cutter, but uh, um, it definitely geared towards the fan experience as opposed to the old days of the Boston Garden where you might have to look around a 
around a beam in order to see the game. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. I was able to go to uh, the old, um, I call it the United Center, but it's the old Chicago Stadium. Uh, I got to go to the old Boston Garden. One of my first trips traveling, I got to touch the parquet and being a huge Boston Celtic fan, uh, that was a treat for me. Got into the old Maple Leaf Garden and been into Madison Square. I didn't get into the old Montreal Forum, uh, and I didn't get into the Olympia uh, up in Detroit uh, where the Red Wings played. But I, I agree with you. The, the character that the old buildings had uh, is something that it's. I don't think it's able to be designed into an arena these days. It's not with the amenities that the, the fans need to have today. Well, I think everybody has a certain expectation of what their comfort level is going to be when they go to a big event. Um, and a lot of those old buildings, comfort wasn't, uh, I don't think, was the first thought when they were building them. And it was a different time, obviously. And people were sized a little bit differently back then than they are now. Yeah. Jeff, we want to thank you for taking part of this and uh, sharing your knowledge and uh, filling in our listeners as well as us about uh, USIRA and what they're doing and uh, how they're helping to improve the, uh, the, the personnel that operates our facilities that, uh, that make hockey and skating, I think, uh, some of the greatest sports that are out there. Well, I appreciate the opportunity and, and to have the ability to, to help folks that are kind of the unsung heroes of uh, the industry that, you know, people don't, uh, necessarily recognize every day they see them when they're out on driving the zamboni but uh when they're doing all the other stuff that they do in order to make uh make it happen for the kids and uh anybody else who's you know passionate about skating or hockey um you know it's it it's a privilege to be involved as an organization to help those people do their jobs and uh help them provide that experience for so many people around the world Great. We want to thank everyone for listening to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts podcast. Have a question for one of our experts or an idea for a future episode? Please email your questions or requests to info at Zamboni.com. For more information and additional podcast episodes, please visit Zamboni.com forward slash podcast or search Ask the Zamboni Experts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. This is Doug Peters wishing you an ice day. <laughs>